Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 130 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about Evernote, the great information collecting and organizing tool. In this episode, we wanted to follow up that episode with a discussion of the broader topic of collecting, organizing, and for me, most importantly, later using information and some of our own good and bad approaches to that. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about curation. And I guess uh, something we've talked about on the podcast before, but it's been a while, personal knowledge management. Uh, in our second segment, we'll talk about the huge number of announcements and I guess uh, a couple of notable non-announcements that were made at the recent Google Developer Conference. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But uh, let's start with our main topic, our first segment, and that is uh, curation of information. And I think of curation as taking a body of knowledge and preserving it and making sure that it's kept up to date, something that you can reference uh, later if you need it or if other people need it. Personal knowledge management is something I know we've talked about at least once or twice on the podcast over the years. Not really a new topic. We've been talking about knowledge management for lawyers and law firms for a long time. And when I first got into legal technology in the early 2000s, law firm knowledge management was a big hot topic at that point in time. Although I would say that it's really only caught on in bigger law firms. And I think that lawyers in smaller, medium-sized, and solo firms don't really pay a lot of attention to it. But I think in this episode, we wanted to discuss sort of the more personal aspect of knowledge management, uh, how you collect and manage the information that you find and read and want to keep for later uh, to use, whether you're using it for social media or using it for reference or for other matters. Um, Dennis, is there... Anything new uh, under the sun on this topic that uh, that made you think about it? Well, you know, that's that's actually a, a great question, whether there is anything new or whether we're just kind of, you know, taking another crack at the same issues and the same dilemmas that we have. What sort of got me thinking about this was a podcast series on the lead, that's L-E-D-E podcast from Copy Blogger about curation and, and how authors might handle information. And um, that got me thinking about personal knowledge management. So curation is that, as you described, Tom, as, as a way of sort of organizing things. People tend to use it these days as something that you sort of put out and make available to other people. So personal knowledge management, I think in terms of what do I do for myself when it comes to collecting, organizing, and using information, and I might or might not share that. So that might be a useful distinction. Whether there's anything new, I'm not sure. I I went back and I looked at uh, an article I wrote probably 10, well, it was 10 years ago on personal knowledge management. And it was describing what I was looking for and how the tools kind of frustrated me and how I'd kind of started out with good intentions and got myself into a mess. And when we talked in the last episode about Evernote, 
I sort of see it as the next step for me to overcome the most recent mess I've created as I've tried to come up with a personal knowledge management <laughs> system. So that sort of got me to the to the topic, Tom. I, you know, I went and listened. You had mentioned the the Copy Blogger podcast series, and I went and listened to it, and I thought it was very interesting that they took a a different approach to the idea of curation. When I think of curation, I think of the image in my mind is the museum curator who, back in the back, has got all this great stuff that they want to show to the public, and they they got to make sure that it's kept in good condition, that it's not too old, that doesn't nothing happens to it, and then they take it out and show it when it's useful, and they bring it back in. And and do things. And I, I, I sort of think the same thing with regard to um, the information that we might have that we want to share with our blog readers or primarily on blogs or websites, things like that. They really think about curation as really just pushing information out to like Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, just uh, pushing links out is what it, it felt like that was, that was something they also considered curation. I'm really not sure I think about that when I think about curation, although I do think that curation also applies to personal knowledge management because collecting the types of information that you have for whatever reason you're collecting it, whether it's for... Um, whether it's for podcast ideas or blog ideas or whether it's reference work that you're going to to want to keep back for work for the job that you do, you're going to need to go into it occasionally and make sure that it's still up to date and make sure that stuff in there is not uh, old. And I've got that problem right now with a lot of my old e-discovery articles from back in 2008. Things have changed tremendously in six years. And a lot of those articles really don't make sense for me to have. And so that's why I think that it's an important topic because it's a, it's a matter of not of just uh, how do you get into it, how do you do it, and what are the right tools, but how do you keep it going? How do you sustain it? Um, it's not an easy process, which is probably why uh, well, we find people using it and doing it so rarely these days. Well, it's something that we all do, you know, with differing levels of success. Um, so we all have some kind of system, right? And it may be something that you know, on reflection embarrasses us. But I, I think it does come down to sort of three things that I really focus being important. And um, and I think we tend to do better jobs at some of these than others. And so uh, there's a collection notion, uh, which is saying, I run across all these great things, I have ideas, and I f- find web things, blog posts, uh, you know, contact information, all this, all this sort of stuff that's, you know, potentially useful to me that I can collect. And I, I you know, find it in different places. I like to get it into one place where I could deal with it. I, I think that people tend to do a decent job of that, but there's always room for improvement. So that's the collection side. The organization side, boy, I don't know. For me, if it's, it's almost like I'm relying on search these days because I don't do a great job of organization, and, and we can talk a little bit about that time because I think there are just some actually some structural issues about organizing and categorizing that uh, you know that can make th- make this really difficult. And then then I think the the big one that really d- differentiates that people are successful uh, from those uh, who aren't is is can you use what you've collected and organized at the time you need it? So can not just put your hands on it, but can you actually use it and turn it into something? Whether that's an article, a podcast, or um, other things like that. So that's sort of my sort of three-part approach to that time. Does that seem about right to you? It does. Um, I agree, and, and I agree that the reuse part 
is easily the hardest part. And I will say that um, the system that I happen to use, I guess maybe if I had to kind of glom on a, a, a fourth part to that, it would be that curation. It would be that main, maintaining and keeping it up to date because I find that I keep things forever in this knowledge management system, which is sort of against what I do in other areas with email or with other documents or things like that. But I tend to use my knowledge management system as a as a never-ending file cabinet that I don't go into. And I think that's a problem as well because you wind up having a lot of stuff in there that really doesn't belong. Um, but I think that the, the reuse part really is very interesting because I put the things in there with the intent of I'm going to go back when I have these issues come up at work and I'm going to do a search and I want to find these things and I never do it. And that's really the biggest part, the biggest problem for me is I just don't uh, remember to go back to my knowledge bank and remember that I actually have something to go through. I I thought this may be not a a good topic to move off to, but uh, when I read reread your article from 10 years ago, I was surprised at how, I hate to call you prescient, lest you get a big head, but the fact that the the factors and the criteria that you were looking for in a tool back then are still, I think, surprisingly relevant today. I think that everything still applies. And and if I'm if I'm recommending a tool for someone to use for their personal knowledge management, total ease of entry is going to be the first thing. Multiple platforms, make sure you can get to it on a mobile device, make sure you can capture it very easily, make sure that there's a way to assign categories to something so that you can divide it up it's not just one big inbox that you're putting it into. Um, search, like you said, you're using search, but I think that's not a bad thing. I think that being able to index that information and search it is really what's going to be important. Um, one of the things I know we'll talk about a little bit later is is assigning keywords, tagging things, because it's not just enough to put things into categories. You sometimes need something that's a little bit more granular. I know we'll probably talk about that in, in a little bit. A timestamp was another one of your criteria. I think that's tremendously important to know when that came in so you know when it's over, a way to browse, a way to see related items, and then an easy way to get the information out. Um, what was interesting was that I compared this against the tool that I use primarily for my personal knowledge management, and that's Evernote, and it meets almost every single one of those criteria, if if not all of them. I'm going to struggle during this segment to not become just the poster child for Evernote and uh, talking about it, but it is a tool I use, and it is a tool that works well for me. I, I feel like I've got the tool right, but I don't know that the system really works for me well, and that's really a discipline thing on my part. What is it that's not working for your system, Dennis? Well, I think that I like the idea of focusing on Evernote because that's what made me start to really rethink. And then when we did the the last podcast, I started to rethink it some more. But I I just think what I'm doing is, is so scattered. You know, I was relying a lot on Google Reader, which went away. I sometimes collect bookmarks. You know, I'll grab other things. I, the whole I have lots of great things in podcasts that I listen to. I don't really have any good way of keeping those, and certainly nothing that would be useful in the way, like say, audio clips would be. That that just seems like an impossible thing to do. Although that that could be useful. So I I think it's that. The, the scattered approach and the idea to bring it into one place. And so I think that Evernote, with all of the features that it has and that metaphor of the notebooks and being able to put things in there, like you said, to tag, to do those other things, that's, that's what made me feel that uh, 
if I'm going to rethink and redo, this is sort of the thing I want to try at this stage. Although I think that when when I go back to the my early approach to to personal KM, I mean, I think why it's why it might seem solid to you, Tom, is that I, I sort of put my heart on this on my sleeve in, in that saying, this is what I really want, because I, I saw what I needed to do. And you and I have sort of similar things that we, you know, we're, we're doing, blogging, podcasting, you know, books, you know, in addition to the work we do and, and, and all of that. So I, I think it's, so that's one piece of it. I think there's a notion, as you said, though, tool is one thing, because there's probably a lot of tools that can accomplish something for you. I mean, we all know the, the lawyers who had, you know, like three ring binders and file folders of stuff, but then the system... Once, you know, sometimes that's a black hole. You put stuff in and you don't get it out. And I always find that if I have a system and I go to write an article and I'm out, you know, using Google and on the internet trying to find information. And then after I'm done writing it, I remember like, oh, I collected all this stuff at some point and I forget to go back to that. That's sort of a failed, to me, a sign of a, a failed system. So that's that's why I'm starting to to rethink and put more in the context of what, I mean, this goes back to jobs to be done, but what am I hiring this personal KM system to do? What are, what are the things I actually use, what I collect uh, for? I, mean, I think you're right. I think uh, one of the things we want to, or at least I want to emphasize during this podcast is you use the tool that works for you. Um, if you have to do that hiring interview and say, what, I'm, what have I hired you for? And, and if that tool works, then it works for you. I, I, I know a lot of people use bookmarks um, as a personal KM tool. There's somebody on the, on the uh, podcast that we've mentioned, and we'll put in the links, who uses Excel spreadsheets almost exclusively for their personal knowledge management and raves about it, about how efficient it is and how easy it is to sort information and search for it. I know that over the past couple of years, some of the reading tools Tools like Instapaper and Pocket and Readability have started to develop themselves as personal KM tools, allowing you to save documents and tag them and put them in folders and, and things like that. We certainly would, if we're talking about Evernote, we certainly would be remiss not to talk about OneNote, which is, I think, another very good tool for capturing information. I remember it's been, I don't know, how long has it been, Dennis, since one of your systems for personal KM was uh, essentially PDFing the the websites and articles that you liked and keeping them all on a drive. I know that at one point in time was the system that you used. Yeah, my personal internet. Yeah, unfortunately that that exercise got done, which is actually a selling point, I think, on the uh, Instapaper and other other services like that. Because part of the thing when you're just printing to PDF was that, as anybody who prints anything from the internet knows, you don't always get what you think you were going to get on on what printed out, and then you know you end up with this you know huge mess of things. But it's searchable and it's in PDFs, and you know there's some benefits to that, uh, but. That didn't work for me, so this is an area where I have like a bunch of failures that hopefully have helped me for the next time. But yeah, there are a, you know any number of tools I could see like a personal wiki. I, there, 
you know, so I could see outliners. Um, there's just a bunch of different ways to do it. So I don't, I don't think there's magic in the tool. It's, it's more the system. I don't know, Tom, I thought that one of the ideas I had for this podcast is, was to say, let's, let's take a look at something, you know, kind of talk people through our way of thinking about this with the, with an example. And that's something that we've been thinking about, which is, um, how do we, how do we handle our personal KM for this podcast? Um, and maybe think a, a lot about how we improve that. I agree. And, and I think that what's interesting about that is that, you know, there are three parts to this podcast. We have the main segment, which is kind of the longer topic. We have the B segment, which is a shorter topic. And we have the parting shot, which is sort of something we do on our own. And I think that right now, um, we're kind of handling the, the personal knowledge management for each of the one a, a little bit differently. I know that I certainly, I have come to rely upon you as having good brainstorming ideas for the A topic that we we do. What are what are your thoughts? Are how are you how are you coming up with that now? And is there something you want to do about that differently in the future in terms of collecting ideas and brainstorming for that? Well, you know, it is it is interesting how uh, that's what I noticed right away that we were using different techniques, uh, either both of us, you know, um, and individually using different techniques on each of these three things. So on the brainstorming side, which I think is sort of the idea collection thing, which to me is a really tricky area because I used to have this feeling, you know, or be of the approach that said, hey, if it's a great idea, I won't forget it. You know, it will keep coming back to me. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, I started to to doubt that that approach. <laughs> so on brainstorming for me, uh, it's always mind mapping, you know, so I will just say I need, to, you know, it's time and I've, you know, now I'm starting to use OmniFocus. I've sort of flagged, uh, just so you know, Tom, you'll be hearing from me on this, that about every two months I want to, you know, come up with another, say, 10 topic ideas for the, for the main topic. And I just do that with a mind map, which to me means a piece of paper. And, you know, I write, you know, I put something in the middle that says podcast ideas. And, and I just try to think of the things that might work for the podcast that I've run into and, and just try to, to work at that until I get about 10 down. And then I capture it onto a list, which uh, is now going into an Evernote note and then uh, once I kind of solve my own learning problems, we'll get that shared on a better basis than we do now. So that one really makes sense. For me, that works as a way that a sort of shared Evernote note or I think what will become a shared podcast notebook with a note inside that notebook for the the A topic, as, as we call it, would work on that approach. No, I agree. I think that's the because it tends to be um, the area where you would have the I guess what we would call the bigger ideas, the things that are going to take a little bit longer. I will typically, to the extent that I ever have an idea for the A topic or ever want to contribute something, it's usually on something that's been recent in the news. And I'm not an OmniFocus user. I don't have the. It just doesn't right now fit into a system that I want to create. 
So I'm still, again, using Evernote primarily to capture things, but I will say that when it comes to just getting basic ideas for either the main topic, the A topic, or kind of the B topic, which is sort of our something that happened this week or in the past two weeks that has interested us and, and we want to talk about more, um, I tend to wind up using my feed reader for that. Um, I've, I've got my newsreader on my iPad uh, divided up into categories, and I, uh, I head to my technology folder, and I just head down there and see if there are any interesting topics or things that I think are, are, are worth looking at. If I do, if I find something that's worth looking at, it's an easy two clicks of a button to share it automatically over to my Evernote account. I can save it directly into an ideas folder um, and tag it with uh, with podcast ideas uh, so that I've got, I can then go back easily and just do a quick search for podcast ideas and I come up with all the different uh, articles and ideas that I happen to have. So that's that seems to be working out pretty well from the A and the B standpoint. When it comes to the parting shots topic, I think that it's a little bit different. I, I want to find something new or interesting that catches my eye. Again, I'm using Mr. Reader, uh, but uh, using it in a slightly different way. If I see a new app or if I see a new book or something that's interesting, it's not really a news topic, but it's something that would be useful to the people who listen to the podcast, I'm, again, saving that to Evernote. Two clicks of a button, it goes right into the, it's a separate folder, but it's labeled with parting shot so that I can then go through and see which do I want to, to mention for this particular episode. So I find that um, it worked pretty well. I, uh, I I don't have any issues working with that. Is there, is there anything different that, that you're doing that, that you want to talk about? Well, I was I was going to ask you a, a question. When you say that the two clicks into Evernote, are you, are you doing like a, the web clipping? So you're taking that and clipping the page that you find and and putting that into Evernote. Are you just taking the idea itself as a note to yourself that you put into Evernote? Well, for me, it's a little bit different because I do all of my my news reading. I use my, you know, what used to be Google Reader, now it's Feedly, that I use to consume all my news by RSS feeds. I use the Mr. Reader app. I mean, you can do the same thing with Feedly, um, with other apps as well. There are other apps that can, that you can, Reader, I think, is another great app for, for, for consuming. And there's a, there's a button, there's a share button for each story, and I've configured the share button to, I click one button, it, and then I press the Evernote button, a box comes up, um, I can then fill in the tag that I want. It's designed to go into a specific notebook unless I specify a different one. I can specify a tag if I want to and hit the send button and it automatically sends that article. It's a, it's a, a I think a full version or sometimes a snippet of that article directly to that Evernote account. I will say if I'm working in my browser, though, the Evernote Web Clipper is one of the best things ever because it's so powerful in what it can do. So we talked about this in the last episode. I use a number of ways to get stuff in, whether it's sharing in the reader, just emailing things to my Evernote email address, or using the Web Clipper. Any of those will work just fine. And and I think that there are a number of the other tools that we talked about, a lot of them have those capabilities as well. Yeah, so I, I think that what I do is... Um, you know, on on the B topic, that you're, you're right. We're just looking for something that sort of we've been thinking about, or we just want to talk about it a little bit, or something new in the news. I sort of like your idea there of because I was thinking of a if this then that sort of thing. So when I start something in Feedly, they would throw it into Evernote, and then I could go look at it. But I sort of like your thing of because generally I do not like the you know 
forcing me to assign it to to something or to tag it before I enter it. I tend to fall down on that. And so in Google bookmarks and stuff like that, I, I really fall down on that as well, with one exception that I'll talk about in, in a second. So, uh, but I, I sort of, I think there's something good in there. And the B topic, thing I, I think you're right I, this that's sort of a, a tagging or a flagging but that's typically where you and I are sort of getting in touch by email and saying what do you think and and so that's that's a little bit easier I, th- I think to do but sort of flagging a few ideas to say here's like three ideas uh, for this episode it might be a good thing on a parting shots what I do is I, I do one or two things so if I think about it and I've you know I found something that I want to talk about um, that I can do in Google bookmarks I do have a tag that says parting shots and I'll go back and I'll look at that and see if there's there's something those tend to get a little bit out of date because often what I'll do and the same is what I did uh, for the parting shot in this episode is something I think of on the morning that we record. I say, oh, I'd like to mention that. Because a lot of times I'm talking about podcasts, you know, that I'll mention podcasts in a parting shot. So for me, that's just such a difficult area because there's no really good way to flag that stuff and make it usable. And then the, you know, the URLs and stuff are really hard on that stuff. So, so that becomes a really tricky thing. But I think that listeners hearing how we do it now and thinking if we use that Evernote framework to put things in, then we would, we'd be collecting things in sort of three you know, sort of three notes or note, uh, probably one notebook, three notes into it. We could look at it and then we would, and then if we shared it, we'd actually be in a, a much better place, Tom, I think, with the podcast than we are right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's that was exactly what I was going to suggest is that we need to, we've shared notebooks in, note, in Evernote before, but we just haven't made the use of them that we probably should. And I think that's a good uh, uh, idea for us to, to do moving forward. I guess to take us out of this this particular segment, what, what are kind of your best tips? My only kind of best suggestion for it is what I mentioned before, which is find the tool that works for you. What are your personal requirements? For for a personal knowledge management tool, what do you need to make it successful? And uh, you know, to use use Dennis's uh, article from ten years ago. It's still very very fresh and and it works very well. Decide whether those things work for you, and then go out and and find the tool that meets those those capabilities. If if you've got a tool that you like better uh, than Evernote or something that you think works really well, then uh, give us a, a holler on Twitter or uh, on the blog or or some other place, and uh, we'd love to talk about it more with you. Yeah, we're always looking for new ideas. Yeah, I, I think the main thing is sort of be who you are. And so if you're an outline person, I mean, if the outline tools today allow you to do a lot. And the fact that you can you know, include URLs, you can, you can clip material into it, you can do all these sorts of things. You know, as Tom mentioned, somebody's doing all this cool stuff with research in a spreadsheet. So I, I think if you get really close to how you actually do things, then you can make this uh, work for you. But but I also, my other tip is to say, what use do you need to get out of the stuff that you're collecting? And so if you can get a good sense of that, then I think the tool will start to fall into place. And then also your system, improving the system, which is the real the real key to this, will, will start to come along. Uh, but don't expect success on the 
the first time. I think this is a constantly evolving thing. And then, as I said, I worry a little bit about the tools changing so fast as well. And I see a, uh, a B topic in our future reporting back on our, uh, on our success with using Evernote as a podcast preparation tool. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Google's Google I.O. 2014 conference just ended, and it generated a lot of coverage on the, on the web. This developer conference gives us some insights into what Google is planning to do in the future. Uh, that includes things like wearables, cars, and TV, uh, which were definitely on the ra- radar. And actually, there was a lot of attention on, on what both what was and what wasn't mentioned. I think the sheer volume of announcements uh, really caught our attention, and, and Tom... You've become our Android experts. What got you to want to talk about this uh, topic, and what do you want to highlight? Well, actually, what got my attention first was the fact that the keynote announcing all the new stuff was two and a half hours. Who could sit there for two and a half hours to listen to stuff? It just blows me away that that they would talk about it, and they did. They talked about a ton of stuff, a ton of new things. They're going to roll out some cheap smartphones for other parts of the world where you can buy a, an Android phone for under $100. They've developed something that they've called material design. They want to unify um, the Android approach no matter what platform you're on, so if you're, whether you're looking on a phone or on a tablet or on a Chromebook in a browser somewhere, it's all going to look the same. It's going to have that unified design to it. Um, they're getting ready to roll out a new, uh, a new operating system in the fall. Uh, for the first time, it appears they're not going to be using the dessert theme. So this will just be called Android L because uh, they're up to L in the in the. Uh, uh, the, the the alphabet. Uh, they have a number of new features that include better multitasking, better search, better battery life, a kill switch so you can remotely wipe your your phone if you lose it. Um, they've they've entered that smartphone wearable market, doing their own smart watches, the smart watch wearable market, doing their own smart watches. They're going to be in your car now with Android Auto. They're kind of following along with Apple uh, introducing itself into a lot of cars this coming year, and then Android TV. Is as well, which uh, again is very similar to Apple TV, kind of a set-top box that you can uh, stream uh, movies, TV, music, all sorts of entertainment from that. Um, those were the, to me, the big highlights. Uh, it was not terribly exciting. It's good to see um, improvements in things and uh, and 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 changing some things, making them more interesting and and evolving. I didn't really see anything terribly revolutionary that just uh, got me all uh, a goggle or anything like that. Dennis, uh, maybe we talk about some of the surprising things that weren't discussed at Google I.O. that you may have noticed. Well, I mean, I I sort of read a a number of comments, and there were were some 
discussion about indications that uh, Google was going to try to pull people more, or, you know, I don't know what the lock-in is the right word, but more strongly into the Android world, um, sort of a la, you know, Apple in the iOS world. That was sort of interesting. Anytime that Google extends sort of the zone uh, that it covers, uh, then you've, you just are really struck by the you know the sheer amount of information and and data they're going to have access to and you know keeping in mind Google is an advertising company that you know makes you makes you think and and then the one thing that really struck me though was and you know maybe in fairness that this is sort of an Android developers conference but you know there's two and a half, a two and a half hour keynote time you know there is it is interesting to think about what wasn't talked about and and the one that caught my attention was Google plus and you know so you have all these different announcements and you would expect them to to tie into Google plus but you know, because the indication was a year or two ago that the Google Plus was really where Google was going, and to not have it really mentioned at all um, does make you think. Because Google does have that tendency to, uh, if things don't aren't going exactly the way they want with these things, they don't mind pulling you know products and, and product lines. So, you know, it sort of confirms what I saw confirms uh, a lot of the trends that we we're expecting. You know, wearables, cars, TV, but it's worth taking a look at, at what's out there and what's not out there and, and you know, gives you something to think about. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the reasons why Google Plus wasn't mentioned may have something to do with the fact that the founder, the person who was responsible for bringing Google Plus out to market, has left the company. And, um, and ever since he left, there seems to have been a lack of enthusiasm for it, which is interesting that they would uh, undertake such an effort to generate such a large audience and then sort of just leave it stagnant there. And I, I hope that's not the case because I think that there is a place for Google Plus and it's, it is a valuable tool. I hope that's not happened. The one other thing that was very surprising to me uh, was that I, I, I read an article that not only was Google Glass not mentioned at all during the keynote, but not one person on stage wore Google Glass, which I sort of would have expected that if it's a tool that Google's putting out, that having a, a computer for your face is the way of the future, I would have thought that at least one or two people would use it to get information, to see their presentation. Or, and the fact that no one used it, I think, was was fairly telling. I, it could be because um, Glass has gotten a lot of bad publicity in the past year with people realizing that uh, oh, that guy or that, that lady has, has a camera that's pointed at me and I have no idea whether they're taking a, a, a movie or a picture of me, although you can tell. It, it lights up when that happens. But uh, generating a lot of sort of distrust and cynicism. Uh, but I think it may also be due to the fact, and, and, and some of the articles I've read back this up, that, that maybe Google is recognizing that uh, having a computer on your face is not the next move. The next move is is putting it on your wrist, and then that helps people move to the computer that's on your face. And and maybe they're taking a step back, and by introducing a new smartwatch, they're they're recognizing that uh, maybe Google Glass's time is is not exactly right now. 
It's funny you reminded me that this uh, this morning at brunch, I had a it was the first time in a long time I had an actual sighting of somebody wearing Google Glass, and I'm still not convinced it makes you look cool. <laughs> but now it's time for a parting shots. I one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So my parting shot comes from one of the comments to the uh, copy blogger podcast notes, show notes that uh, that we've been discussing in the first segment. Um, and somebody had had mentioned using a site called Vellum, V E L L U M. It's uh, the the website is vellum.nytlabs.com. It's New York Times has actually rolled this tool out, and it's designed to make your Twitter uh, to create a Twitter reading list for you. So what it does is it connects to your Twitter account. It goes and looks at all the tweets that you've received from from the people that you follow, and it strips out the links, and it just gives you a reading list of links. So if you don't want to pay attention to what they're saying, if you just want to see and and read the stuff that they're getting to, Vellum is a really interesting tool that just gives you the links and and, and then you can go and, and read those articles. The one thing it doesn't have is something we talk about all the time, how to get that information to other places. I'd love to be able to send that to my pocket account or to Evernote or to someplace else. And right now, Vellum kind of is its self-contained area and it doesn't really have a way to save anything. And uh, so I hope they improve upon that because I think it's a really nice feature. But Vellum, V-E-L-L-U-M. Dennis? And I have another podcast. The one thing that lawyers are notoriously bad at is investments, possibly because we we think we know everything. But uh, we always learn that uh, it's, it's sort of the rare lawyer who's really good at investing uh, and keeping up with that. So I really recommend uh, Consuelo Mack's Wealth Track podcast. Um, she's in the PBS family, but uh, this is just going to be uh, Wealth Track, W-E-A-L-T-H-T-R-A-C-K.com. And it's a great interview podcast uh, with with financial people and investment people, and it's a great way to keep up with what's not just uh, specific investments, but sort of what's going on in the economy, trends, different approaches. There's a kind of a great conservative approach to, to investing that I think suits lawyers well. And she's doing this really cool thing lately with a focus on issues that relate specifically to women, um, which is what the newest podcast is about, which is terrific in, in a lot of ways. So for those of you who uh, are not too afraid to invest money these days in, in this market, this is a, a nice half hour away each week to to get the opinions of, of people who really know what's going on out there. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed, is available on our show notes blog at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or from the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to the archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question that you want answered or a topic that you'd like us to discuss on an upcoming podcast, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, 
The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.